0: Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 15, The Colossus. The open door gave them a full view of the immensity of the sea. Even at the higher elevation, it was impossible to see the coastline. The only visible sign of life was the rented boat, almost lost in the sun's fiery glow as it moved closer and closer to the horizon. With a sudden clunk, the elevator jolted to a stop and the rear doors opened. Okay, move it, said the burly man as he gestured for them to go onto the platform. Phillips walked ahead of Darby onto a sandpaper-like surface that from all outward appearances resembled the deck of an aircraft carrier. To the left were a series of buildings along the outside edge, looking like barracks. One of the striking features of the platform was its incredible tower, in the exact center rising several hundred feet into the air. It was constructed of the same metal struts, but was painted orange and rose like a giant radio antenna. However, there were notable exceptions. One, a spiral staircase wound around a huge stainless steel shaft to a round lookout point on top. The shaft extended from the lookout point clear through the platform itself. Guards followed Phillips and Darby across the windy platform, finally leading them to the staircase. We were rendezvous with Anson on level one, said the shorter guard. We have to climb that thing? Asked Darby with her eyes open. It's the only way right now. Come on, let's go. She looked up the length of it and was surprised to see Phillips was already climbing upward. In fact, he was moving at a respectable rate, as if he was driven to find out what was up the top of the structure. She grabbed hold of the pipe-like banisters, steadying herself as she too trekked to the top. The wind was brutal in the open, especially at these heights, and several times she feared she'd fall. Looking downward, she saw the gray surface of the platform and the crashing waves far below. As she looked upward, she could see Phillips almost at the top. He slowed as he came to the base of the tower. Inside another man opened the hatch and helped him inside the bottom of the tri-level tower. Up the spiral staircase to the third level, said the man. Phillips was breathing like he had just run a marathon, but he dashed for the staircase like a man possessed about finding out the truth. Up he went past the second level and onto the third. He ran through the open doorway, traveling only a few steps as he beheld the sight. Here, nearly 300 feet above the ocean was the highest point of the platform. It's a donut-shaped room completely surrounded by metal-framed windows overlooking the horizon elaborate radar devices, weather-tracking instruments, and sophisticated communication systems circled the room under the windows, and in the center was the same stainless steel shaft. Hey, in this area, said a man sitting in a pivotal chair on the other side of the shaft, talking to someone on a telephone. Phillips walked over to the glass, and he could see a few lights along the coastline, but just barely. He ran his fingers along the bottom of the windows as he walked the int- around the area. Still breathing quickly, he walked the entire 360 degrees around the upper area. Why don't you sit down? No, I'm all right, motioned Phillips as he walked back to the staircase to wait for Darby. She was only a few minutes behind, and when she emerged, she was as winded as he was. You all right, Darby? I'm sorry I ran up ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. What's going on up here? Look at this place. I can see the coast, he said as he led her to the window. He leaned against the instrument panel and peered across the water. Then she turned back to the window and braced herself on the panels. What the hell is going on out here? Everybody sit down and be quiet. I'm Gordon Anson. I'm in charge of platform operations and relocation systems. He said as he shook Phillips's hand. That's great, Mr. Anson. What's going on here? You'll find out soon enough. Darby moved over to the observation windows, pretending to admire the view. Very slowly, she lifted a receiver from the hook of a telephone and punched in the number to Beetlehouse's office. Just as the number was completed and the call placed, an electrical current surged through the line. She flung the receiver out of her hand. Hanson came running over with the two guards. You mustn't fool with the computer there, Missy. The computer's programmed to allow certain calls to go through. If they're not cleared with the computer, then you'll see the results like you just did. I must warn you not to attempt any further contact with the outside world, Miss O'Malley. How do you know my name? We have our ways. Neither of you are to get anywhere near any communications device. Is that clear? Yeah, that's clear, said Phillips. Where are you taking us? Asked Darby. Below. "'That's where?' "'Blow what?' she asked. "'Blow this tower! "'Blow the platform! Below the mooring docks! Below the Atlantic!' he boasted as a high-pitched noise echoed around the room. "'Good, the BT has arrived.' "'BT?' he didn't answer it. "'The outer stainless steel tank sunk below the level of the room, "'revealing a red-painted shaft with closed doors. "'Anson went over to the microphone next to the telephone. "'Level one is clear,' he said. Answered a voice over the speaker. All levels clear. Go ahead, Gordon. Just where exactly are we going, and who's in charge of this place? That's not for you to know. Darby tightened her lips as she dreaded becoming part of this frightful experiment. Step down inside here, he said as the metal door slid open and another door inside unbolted and opened. Bring her inside. The guards came over to Darby, lifting her under the armpits. Darby and Phillips moved inside. Anson pushed a button to the right of the doors and a red light came on above them. The outside shaft shut tight. He pushed another button, closing the door electronically. Now, before you jump to any more conclusions, we're in a BT, a battle transport. We just call it a BT. Why are you even telling us this? Again, he didn't answer. Darby was ambivalent in her thoughts as she looked around the BT. One side of her wanted to stop Anson at any cost. Another side wished to know the secret of what was down below. B.T. had the shape of a hockey puck or a tuna can It was well over 20 feet in diameter. There were several red, high back chairs riveted to the blue carpeted floor. Clear spans of glass were embedded in the beige walls and the ceiling above was a simple suspension ceiling. All the interior, except the glass, was built under a tough metal hull. I would advise you to strap yourself in if you've got any brains. We're all set here, Steve. Okay, right, Gordon. Descent commencing answered a voice from below. With a very smooth movement like that of an electric car with a similar sound, the BT glided down the shaft. Anson sat down in one of the forward chairs near the doors and strapped himself in. He pivoted the chair around to them. Phillips and Darby were both strapped in. Where are we going? Is that your ongoing question, Miss O'Malley? Among others, she said as they reached the level of the platform, The B.T. emerged out of the shaft into the open air, still heading downward toward the ocean. there will be a slight blow as we hit the ocean. Twilight came through the glass and the pillars and supports rushed by them. So early was brought down here, asked Darby, as the B.T. hit the ocean surface. Surf's splashing up over the window, the restraints tightened around Phillips's back. The cabin became dark. The artificial lights came on once again. Was the early taken below? Asked Darby again. Mr. Early has been taken to the Colossus, Miss O'Malley. Said a British voice from the ceiling. Where is the Colossus? Asked Phillips. The Colossus is a self-contained structure on the ocean floor. Has a crew of over 70 people maximum. Vents, laboratories, living areas, and a multitude of other sections which you will see in due time. We want to know why you're here. No, we want to know why you're here, said Darby. In time, in time, Miss O'Malley. What is this charade? One moment, Mr. Phillips. Why are you going through all this? Why have you constructed this place? Why, indeed. As to the purpose of the Colossus, well, <laughs> I think it might be more relevant to be asking what your purpose is in coming here. You are the intruders. Any further questions can wait. This conversation is over. We won't leave here, will we? asked Darby, but the speakers were silent. She turned to the two men. Pleasant, isn't she? I must uh, tell you, Miss O'Malley, Jay is a very important individual. She has ways of monitoring conversations, so I would not be too detrimental in your remarks. I monitors conversations, does she? Then she should know that I'm very upset and don't appreciate being abducted. Well, at least we're going to find out what's going on down here. I really don't think we can leave here, Gary. They could have killed us back there, and they did As she stared at their reflections in the darkened window, the BT sunk lower and lower for another five minutes, and soon she could see a faint glow of light. Is that it? Is that where we're going? Anson pushed the buttons, activating the display panel of the computer. The depth and time elapsed on the screen in vivid green letters. Yes, we are nearing the Colossus. If you do see any light, it's probably originating from the top of the Colossus, Jay's private suite. I would advise you, Miss O'Malley, either to sit up on the floor or strap yourself back in that seat. No, I want to see this, she said stubbornly as she stayed next to the window. Suit yourself, Bruce. If you get bruised, don't blame me. Darby gazed out the window as the vague image of the Colossus came into view. It was a hull shaped like a conventional submarine but with a much larger snub back than a long tapering front. She looked upward from where they had just descended, but the water was pitch black, not even looking like the sea at all, but some secluded dimension where all life ceased below the protective cocoon of the Colossus. An outer magnet was activated by Anson in the docking bay and an upper portion of the Colossus, and the BT was drawn into it, locking into position. Okay, we've docked. All clear here, Gordon. said the same voice he had spoken to when they were up on the platform. Very good. I'll send them through. Said Anson as he pushed the button in the inner lower bolted door. Dim yellow light leaked into the BT. You said you're sending us through. You're not coming with us? My duties are above right now, said Anson. Mr. Anson, why do we have to be decontaminated? Asked Phillips. Just a precaution, Mr. Phillips. "'I guess we don't have much of a choice, do we?' asked Darby as she strutted by Phillips into the decontamination area. "'Well, Gary, here we are, umpteen thousand feet below the sea, in some closed-in room. The room was covered with a thin sheet of material that resembled a wrinkle of aluminum foil. Thousands of facets reflected in the light from behind a black grill less than ten feet above them. "'Darby, I don't think they're going to harm us.' Well, (laughs) "'Well, what are we supposed to think?' I don't know what they have in store for us here. She says the lights went out and the place went dark. The low, deeply resonating hum began to vibrate around the room. In fact, it became so intense that it caused Phillips to feel itchy. But a half a minute later, the noise phased out, replaced by a fairly intense stream of blue light from the grill above them, accompanied by a high-pitched shrillness, which drove them to their knees. The noise grew louder and they fell to the floor. Soon the room was dark again, and the doors of the Colossus slid open. Two men in casual dress ran along a connected passageway and into the room. Slowly, in the subdued yellow light, they returned to the room as Phillips and Darby sat up. You all right, Darby? Yeah, I think so. Nice greeting, huh? The Two men stood over them, offering them their hands. We apologize for the uh, semi-sterilization, but it was necessary, said the man named Steve. seat ahead of us down the passageway. They passed through the connecting hallway, which was much smaller, and they stepped inside the Colossus. The ensuing corridor was exceedingly larger than the others. To the left and the right were openings to a ramp which led to the lower sections and through a corridor up to the top. This is incredible! Why all this? And where's the prisoner? A circular room, even with a higher ceiling, surrounded the towering stainless steel doors of the core elevator. Like the shaft in the tower, the elevator cylinder was in the center of the outer room, an appropriate focus for the three corridors. Steve pushed a large, round, green button, opening the bulky doors. He turned to them as the other men went inside. We will bring you down to your rooms. Jay has advised me that you will begin your questioning later tonight. So it will be to your advantage to try and recount as much as you can and tell everybody why you're here. Good evening, he said as he began to walk away to the adjacent corridor. And if we don't cooperate asked Darby. He spun around and walked back to them. Then, Miss O'Malley, you will suffer the consequences of your actions, as the tall doors to the elevator closed on them, locking tightly. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.